Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I was trying to go a little somber there because the subject matter dictates it. As most of you know, most of my job is covering the Los Angeles Lakers, who have now been eliminated from the postseason due to a combination of injuries and some poor decisions that we'll get into in a moment. Joining me today to talk about the Lakers is the first three-time guest in the history of Who Says No. Yossi, you're setting records here. Oh, man. Uh, It feels really great. I'm glad to be setting records of some sort. I think at this point we could just categorize you as a friend of the show. I don't think I have to call you a guest anymore. Perfect. I'll take it. Uh, Frequent guest. uh, Yeah, I'll take it. Co-collaborator, something like that. You're going to be back for number four soon enough. I've got some off-season stuff to talk about with you later. But for today, we're going to make sure nobody breaks my record. No, I honestly, I mean, Colin's the co-host, so he's done the second most. I think you're going to be third pretty solidly forever. But you know what? That's a conversation for another day. For today, we're here to talk about the Lakers. And I, I, I don't really know where to start other than to say that we have been DMing about all of the things that went wrong pretty much all year. So rather than, you know, hone in on something specific to start, I'll just give you the floor. I know that you're upset about how this season went. Just where do you want to complain? Where do you want to start? I don't think it's too fair to just uh, point at everything and look back in hindsight. See, I mean, I guess it would just be fair to say what we felt should have happened at some point during the season then maybe didn't happen. Um, I, I'll just say that, like, you know, before uh, they lost, the Lakers were clearly in control. They were probably going to win the series, and up until Davis's injury, uh, I I think most people can agree that they were going to win this series. Or yeah, you know, I I think most people could agree that. Yeah, uh, I would same- say that it's fair. We should point out, like obviously Chris Paul was not 100. percent Personally, yeah. I think if both of these teams are healthy, the Lakers would win. But right. obviously, that was never going to happen. So right, yeah. but at the same time. While you can say that Davis's injury turned completely turned the series the other swung in the other direction, I think you can also acknowledge that the Lakers re- roster was poorly constructed. I, I think, in looking back at it, there was they maybe did a little too much changing up the roster. I don't know if I would go that far. I was on board with the changes because, frankly, last year's roster had plenty of problems too. I just think that they went in the wrong direction with them. So let's go through this piece by piece. Essentially, they came into the offseason with three major tools to reshape the roster. Right. And before you continue, I just want to say, like, I thought the Lakers offseason was amazing. I thought that they did a great job. I like the roster that they put together this year heading into the season better than the last year's roster. I I did all these offseason reviews. I gave the Lakers an A. And now I completely don't feel that way at all. I think I was completely wrong. Yeah, I was skeptical at the time. I understood the logic, and we'll get into the logic. But essentially, there were three tools they could have used to make major improvements. The first was the full mid-level exception. They could have gone taxpayer. They decided to go full, and they hard-capped themselves from there. The second was Danny Green's expiring contract along with a first-round pick. And then the third was the biannual exception. I think we both probably agree that the biannual exception was... Maybe not a home run, but a pretty good signing. I think Wes Matthews yeah. was mostly, mostly what we expected. He was a solid Danny Green replacement. 
Yeah, the two look, moves that you, you can't. Yeah, I'll just say you you can't complain about that one. There's only so much you can get. Maybe that even was the best biannual uh, signing. I'd have to go back and think, go back and check. Even though Matthews wasn't uh, like starting or anything, he wasn't like I don't even know if he was like the ninth best Laker, eighth best Laker, but you that that was fine. No no complaints there. They weren't. They're not going to have access to the biannual this year, anyways. Might as well use it. That was fine. No complaints there. Well, yeah. I mean, just looking at it simply, the biannual is what? It's like $4 million, something in that range? Yeah. So, Wes Matthews uh, was a starter. Wes Matthews was a starter for a team that before the bubble was like flirting with a 70-win pace. You're not going to do much better than that for $4 million. It was a low-risk, pretty high-reward signing. Honestly, I wish Frank Vogel had been a bit more consistent with his minutes. But for the most part, when he was out there, aside from the inconsistent shooting, I felt like he lived up to that contract and then some, and I would love to have him back next year. Absolutely. And like he was so key for the Lakers' play-in play win over the Warriors. And that was a line... I don't even know how often they went back to that lineup during the first three, four games before Davis got hurt during the Sun series. Definitely, I, Matthews, I did not see Matthews that much. I always envisioned that Matthews would be... One of the fifth guys uh, closing, you know, you got LeBron Davis, uh, Pope, and then, you know, depending how they feel with Caruso and Schroeder, and then it could be any, the fifth one could be anyone between uh, Kuzma and uh, the the other point guard, whoever uh, left off of Caruso, Schroeder, and then Matthews, uh, definitely a guy that, I like the idea of them going uh, three wing, LeBron, Pope, and Matthews, they did that all last year with Green, and you know, uh, at least I know Matthews like is not at all a consistent shooter, but you know it's better to pay him four million. Well, maybe now, now this season, seeing how well Danny Green's shooting it this year, but given how Green was and in, how inconsistent Green was last year, better to pay Matthews four million than Green fifteen, sixteen million. Well, that's the Laker curse, right? Everybody who comes to the Lakers immediately forgets how to shoot. So I can't really say, like, you know, I, I think when they saw Danny regress, I think it was fair for them to think, oh, he's just kind of slipped as a shooter. He's getting older. He might not be as viable this year. And considering the contracts, you're right. Danny was making $15 million, West was making four. I think it was totally defensible to say we want West to replace Danny Green. Yeah. We have no, we have no complaints about West Matthews, essentially. Like, for the price. It was a great signing, and it's the sort of signing you get to make when you're a defending champion or you're in L.A., and hopefully they'll have a chance to make similar signings this offseason with guys who want to be Lakers. The next yeah. two moves are, I think, I a guess bit more... The Schroeder trade, since we're talking about Danny Green. Yeah, why don't we start there? It's okay. not so much that I think Schroeder is a bad player. He is obviously a bad fit, but I think the real sin here is the opportunity cost. Because if you have a $15 million expiring contract and a first-round pick, that's really valuable in the offseason, right? Like, you can get somebody who, in theory, if you're targeting the right guy with the wrong contract and at the wrong age, you could get, like, a pretty solid number three guy. There were some pretty ambitious targets that I don't think ever were possibilities. We heard DeMar DeRozan's name, for instance. I threw out Zach Levine at the time. Obviously, Zach Levine turned out to be way more valuable than that. But, I mean, the first thing I will say is let's go back to the shooter trade. Who did you want the Lakers to trade for with that package? Because we knew that package was getting traded. 
Uh, honestly, I think Dennis Schroeder. That was I remember thinking like that was I was looking through targets. I knew that the Lakers were definitely going to try to trade Green and a first round pick for something. And I remember Schroeder made the most sense to me. Like it was almost too obvious. And I wouldn't go as far as to say that he's not that he's a bad fit. I just think the Lakers just really miscasted him. I think you know what he did in OKC last year. He was he it just made a huge improvement. And he's playing. They're playing these three point guard lineups, and Schroeder looks amazing. And whatever you know, they overachieved, and they almost beat the Rockets. And the Lakers really bought that at face value. It seems like and. They thought Schroeder was ready to elevate, become a starting point guard. And I just don't think he's that guy. Like he's he was a six man of the year for a reason. And while in theory he could become it made sense for the Lakers to think that he can, you know, play next to LeBron and Davis and have enough help that he could he can uh, sustain being a starting point guard. It that didn't turn out the case. And I've said to you privately, I had a feeling that Schroeder could go like full Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs, and yeah. it was it went even. I don't even think Bledsoe was was this bad. I don't remember. I, I, I mean, don't think uh, Eric Bledsoe no, ever went. No, 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 I'll take he? it back. They were not guarding Bledsoe. At least they were they were respecting Schroeder a little bit in this playoff series. But um, yeah, so that's the that's the main issue is that he's. As of now, he's like a six. He's a great backup point guard, like one of the best backup point guards you can get. But now they're going to be stuck with this tough decision, where they're going to have to pay him a lot of money to resign him. And I don't know what that number is going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. Not going to be. He'll probably million. be the mo- high. He's going to be the highest paid backup point guard for sure if they keep him. Okay. It's not going to be the $84 million that he turned down. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. I don't know how far he's going to fall. I don't think this is like Nerland Zoel turning down $72 million and getting the minimum. But, like, if you told me Dennis Schroeder got three years and $50 million, I wouldn't blink at that. Like, I, I think he left a, quite a bit of money on the table. As far as him being a great backup point guard goes, that's valid. But I'd also point out that the, the Lakers were still 12 points per 100 possessions worse with Schroeder, or rather with LeBron off of the floor. And the whole idea of bringing in Schroeder, like this not a great shooter, but, you know, attacker, backup point guard type, was we're going to start to at least, like, play the non-LeBron minutes to a draw. We're not going to get killed in those minutes. They did get killed in those minutes this year. So, like, the whole theory of it was, you know, they might not be perfect fits together, but when they're apart, they're both going to be good. Well, they weren't even great apart. So it didn't work out. Here's the list of trade targets I listed in the offseason last year before the shooter trade for that, like Danny green plus filler plus first round pick offer. Like these are the guys that I thought were like at all possible, Buddy healed. I, I, the defense would be a problem for Frank Vogel. And he's the sort of guy that I think Frank Vogel would maybe just like bench if he got fed up with him. But I think he would have been an interesting target. Victor Oladipo. Great job. They should not have traded for him. Like we now know that DeMar DeRozan we've discussed. Zach Levine was just probably going to be too expensive. I don't think there was any scenario where the Lakers could have traded for him. Here's where we get to some guys that I think could have made more sense. Derrick Rose, who turned out to be like if the Knicks or if the Lakers had the version of Derrick Rose that played for the Knicks, I think they would still be alive right now. And frankly, like I think they might have been able to get him without giving up the first round pick. The Knicks did. The Knicks got him for a second and cap filler. So 
I mean, I, I think the price would have been easier. They might have been able to take on some extra salary ballast. They're like, there were other upsides to that, but Derrick Rose was so good for the Knicks that, like, man, that's one that I think the Knicks, the Lakers might want back. I guess they couldn't have predicted how well he would shoot with the Knicks. I mean, Derrick Rose did play with LeBron in Cleveland, and it didn't go well, so maybe that was playing into it. I don't know. Evan Fournier was very inconsistent in Boston, but I thought he would have been a perfect fit for LeBron considering his shooting. And here's the one that really gets me. Terry Rozier. Imagine if the Lakers had this version of Terry Rozier. Can you think of a more perfect third option for that offense? No, because he'd probably forget how to shoot. Well, I mean, if we're just going to assign it at that point that everybody who gets to the Lakers forgets how to shoot, like, okay, right. maybe that would have happened. If, Look, if, we're getting, if, we're get, if the Lakers were getting this Terry Rozier with amazing forward quarter shooting, then, yeah, I don't, but I don't I have a hard time seeing Rozier becoming – what he was this season on on almost any other team just it just seemed like it, everything broke perfectly for Charlotte and him this year. But I do want to go over some of those targets that you mentioned. Um, it was just off the bat, DeRozan, Levine, yeah, like that's that's tough. Oladipo, I did feel at one point that was feasible. They could have def. I think they could have gotten it done with Green, Kuzma in a first, or maybe just Green in a first and some filler, but. Um, they would yeah. have done it at the deadline. They could have gotten him for just filler. Yeah, no, but obviously well, that was different. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, no, I was talking about like before the but, season. But, yeah, before the off season. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, different, completely different. Uh, but and then Fournier, I'm pretty sure I I thought about that one. I just completely forgot that one. I really like for the Lakers. That and uh, Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross, we'll, we'll get to him in a second because that's more like mid season. Did a whole podcast about that yes. big trade. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, then I want I want to there's you mentioned Buddy Heald I just have a hard time seeing the Kings selling low on Heald like this this he played he was you know he's still a one of the highest I, was is he still is he number two in three point shooting this year behind Curry No I think this year he was down a little bit but last year was the year that he was really incredible No but like he's he's still like like volume Oh you saying just in volume Wasn't he like number two to Curry this year to, for most threes made I mean, he made four a game, so that's like yeah. it, it's probably. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I, I got. I, I'm not gonna check right now, but I'm pretty sure I saw something that said he was like the number, like behind Curry, which is you know to be behind Curry, that's a lot. But he was number two or something like that. So percentage wise, like this isn't bad. He made 39. percent Yeah, but he's been in the mid 40s before, so it is down a little bit. I, I just think that there's if the Kings trade, that would have been a big sell low for the Kings if they were to do that package. Especially because he'll, you could have just, especially for last season, you could have just chalked that up. Okay, that was a bat, that was a down year. He should bounce back. But uh, then he, you know, he, I guess I don't, I would, I gotta look to see if he really improved at all. If I think he's a little, I think he was a little better this year. But even then, I still wouldn't trade Heald right now for that same type of package. I keep seeing these Kuzma and KCP packages, and like one of the biggest one uh, targets is Buddy Heald right now. And I just don't see the Kings doing that, especially because Heald's contract is declining. So he has. But it's still super expensive, and he's still probably going to be a backup, right? Like Halliburton is the starting shooting guard next year. Yeah, but this is what we said about Harrison Barnes last year that he had this horrible contract, and then like 
were started talking about him in the trade deadline, like maybe the Kings could get two first round picks for him or something. In and fairness, he was better because this mainly because the contract's declining, and I think Heald could be headed towards some some type of value. I, I think his trade value is going to go up as that contract's go, going down. That's all I'm trying to say. So I, I, think I, would, that's- I just have a hard time seeing the Kings trade him for like just that. Um, and there were a couple other names I had on this list too. Spencer Dinwiddie was one that I would have really liked before the injury. Um, I mean, yes. personally, I just never thought it made sense to keep him on that Nets team when Kyrie was healthy. And with at the time they had Levert. Now, obviously, they have James Harden. But also, his value was so high uh, yeah. last off season. So there's, I don't think the Lakers could have pulled it off. So out of all those names, who would your favorite have been? Like, let's say Levine is off the table because Levine is a superstar now. Out of all the other names, who would have your favorite have been? It would have been Dinwiddie, 100%, because he was basic. He was like border a borderline All Star last year, and I think he's ready to like be a starting point guard. He basically was a starting point guard for the Nets last year, um, and I think he would be an excellent fit with LeBron and AD. Um, now I don't think there's really any pathway for him to get there, but no. uh, for Danny Green and a first. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I would I think that would have been amazing for the Lakers, provided he didn't. And for the Nets, by the way, the, the Nets would love to have Danny Green right now. Yeah, I, I'm sure they'd love to have a healthy Dinwiddie right now as well. But that too. Yeah, like I think I'd rather have a healthy Dinwiddie now, like and anybody would. Well, also if they had another first round pick, would that pick have just gone to Houston? Although maybe then they yeah. could have kept Jared Allen, because wasn't the whole thing that Houston wanted four first round picks? So they had to trade Jared Allen to get the last one from Milwaukee or from um, Cleveland because it was a Milwaukee pick. I don't know. Like maybe they could still have Jared Allen then. I mean, honestly, just have another though, pick. Right. I, I, that's my guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rozier is probably my favorite out of this list, but yeah. I'm open to the idea that he would have fallen off the, off a cliff as a Laker. Yeah. The other move that we have to talk about from the offseason is Montrez Harrell for the mid level. And there well, were so many people going. Well, so I just want to. So, so where do we leave this off? Because in the end, like we see all these options, and I, Schroeder really isn't that far off from even the best ones. Like, like well, he's not Dinwiddie, that far off in like, a vacuum. He's far off as far as fitting with LeBron. Well, um, no, I mean like as far as like talent, I like let's say uh, out of the realistic targets, uh, and uh, you know Fournier, uh, Rose, Rosier, uh, Oladipo. Um, I don't think Schroeder's too far off, and who knows what they really could have gotten. So for the value and what I think it's fine, but I did not just the whole uh, just I guess the cold con- the 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 what they want from him is the that's the big dissonance where they want him to be the starting point guard, and maybe it's still possible. Maybe he could be that uh, over time. But that's the big uh, disconnect. If he, if they wanted him to be the sixth man of the year point guard who comes off the bench, plays 20, 25 minutes a game, and helps them a lot in the regular season, they got that. But they cannot be so certain that they're going to get more from him. That's all I'm saying. Did you see what uh, Magic Johnson said? Um, remind me. So last night or yesterday at some point, Magic goes on the radio in L.A. and he basically says, I don't think Dennis is a Laker. I don't think he has the right attitude. He didn't show it in the playoffs. And, like, I think that's a little bit hyperbolic. But I also just – 
I think about what last year's team was like, and I think about all the veterans who made such big sacrifices to make it work. Like Dwight Howard was an MVP runner up at one point, and he's just like, yeah, sure, I'll come off the bench. Like I'll play 10 minutes. I'll get DNP'd sometimes. You look up and down that roster, there was so much sacrifice from so many guys. And then you look at this year, and it's like Dennis comes from a five seed and joins an NBA champion, and he goes, well, I want to be the starter. I, I, I have to be the starter. Yeah. But and Andre on- Drummond comes in the buyout market, and it's the same thing. It's like he has to start. And I just sort of think, like, one of the problems with this year's roster, it's far down the list, but it was a problem, was that so many guys on this year's team do not understand what goes into winning an NBA championship. And I think last year's roster got that better. Well, I, I think even before that, I think the bigger issue was these guys, these in their mid to late 20s that – yeah, they don't really know what it takes to understand what it takes or want to uh, you know do whatever it takes. But more, I guess, superseding that is that these guys are on contract years. So yeah, yeah it makes sense that Schroeder comes in and the I guess like he wanted to come in as a starter. He wants the best opportunity for himself right now. Same thing with Drummond. These guys are expiring and they need to you know I they want to do what's best for them. And I totally understand that too, but maybe the Lakers didn't quite weigh that when they, when they brought these guys in. Well, look at how the roster was built in the 2020 off season with all of those short-term deals. I think the Lakers expected to be players for stars in 2021. And then a bunch of things happened, right? Like everybody signed extensions and COVID lowered the cap. So at that point, it kind of didn't make sense to go that route because there weren't stars to chase. And even if there were, they couldn't have afforded them. But I wonder if that was something that like played into the mercenary feel of this year's roster, where like maybe if they had been thinking a bit more long term in 2020, they could have built something a little different. But I mean, the elephant in the room here is that they didn't really have many options in 2020 because they waited a week for Kawhi. And at that point, they kind of just had to take whoever they could get. The one exception was I thought they should have signed Marcus Morris, but that's another that's a whole other conversation. So. I guess it's weird for me to like lionize the 2020 roster when it was sort of built accidentally, whereas the 2021 roster, like it was built with real intention. The Lakers had options and they chose the players that they chose. They just ended up choosing the wrong ones. Right. And the last thing on this, and this would be a good transition to Harold's just again, the 2020 guy, they did have a lot of for the 2020 roster. They did have a lot of a lot of expiring contracts, uh, Dwight, Rondo, green but these guys were they're older they were veterans they were they knew that if they're going to continue in the league they need to win at the highest levels they have to win a championship and it's helped them and all these guys that aren't on the lakers are still in the second round they're still playing and they're still probably going to be in the league a little longer but this lakers seems a little younger they brought in drummond they they brought in schroeder they brought in harold all these guys are expiring or uh harold could be expiring if he wants to and uh, these, again, like it's a different, I guess it's a different mentality where like, don't forget, these guys are also playing for their next contract. They still have multiple contracts left. And this is probably, this could be their last big contract. And I, I so if, if you can almost, if, maybe you could equate uh, these players, uh, you know, not having, you said they might not have what it takes. Maybe it has to do uh, with their contract situation as well, being younger. So that is a good um, transition into Montrezl Harrell. I, ironically, I was screaming, I want the Lakers to sign Marcus Gasol for the mid-level all offseason, and then they get him for the minimum. 
So that took away the sting a little bit. And I almost wonder if they went into free agency last year with some inkling that Mark was going to come and that they could maybe go for a bit of a luxury with their mid-level because they were getting, you know, a starting caliber center for the minimum. I do think, though, I mean, I hate to say this. There's a lot that goes into any of these signings, but this feels like it was a clutch-induced thing more than anything. I think what had clearly happened to Montrezl Harrell after the playoffs last year was that he was expecting to get, like, some big multi-year deal from a team to be a starter. And then we saw his playoff limitations in that Denver series especially, and he didn't really have a home. So his options were, we don't know what the offer was from Charlotte, but Charlotte apparently made an offer. Or, you know, Clutch maybe pulling a few strings and saying, let's send him to a high-profile team and let him win a championship. And he ends up on the Lakers, and exactly what a lot of people said was going to happen ended up happening which was he had a strong regular season. He put up numbers. He did well off the bench. But then the playoffs came and his defense was exposed and he just he couldn't stay on the floor. Yeah. Uh, so with with Harrell, I remember prior, to, like in the middle of last season with, when he was on the Clippers, there were there were like there were numbers out there, like maybe he'd get like 15 to 20 million a year. And that as soon as the playoffs happened, that immediately got cut in half, uh, basically. So, uh, yeah, I want to, uh, you know, you you can easily say that this was very much uh, clutch, uh, you know, pushed. But so, you know, they use the MLE on Harrell and I always felt that they needed to get like load up on more wings. And one of the, something very interesting about how the NBA works is so the Warriors, they were dominating with their small ball death lineup. And then every there's a big premium on uh, on wing players. Everyone wants to spend their mid level and cap space on wing players. And then a lot of backup level centers they ended up getting like the taxpayer mid level, the room mid level, like five to six million a year. Now the Lakers won the championship last off season, and that completely shifted. All these teams started using the full mid level on big men. Like full mid level money went to like Mason Plumlee went to Aaron Baines. Uh, who it was Aaron Baines, who was maybe Aaron the Baines. worst player in the NBA this year. Derek Favors. And like, I, I think, look, a lot of these are, they were not the best use of money. And the Lakers basically doubled down on, on their size, even though they could have kept McGee and maybe, White I don't know what literally happened tweeted White. that he was coming back. Yeah, and who knows? I don't know what happened. Yeah, who knows what happened there? Like, I still don't understand what they what they. I think I have a read on what happened there. I think what happened was the Lakers said, "If X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, then we will re-sign you for the minimum." And Dwight took that as we will re-sign you for the minimum. So he tweeted out, "Oh, you know, great, I'm coming back to the Lakers." Woohoo! But then the Lakers said, "Wait, no, we never officially made you that offer." But Montrez Harrell and Marcus All are coming, so you don't have a place here. So bye. Yeah, I that is, I do want to believe. I, I'm inclined to believe that that's probably what happened. But um, even the still for the minimum, I, my guess is maybe he changed his mind once he found out that there's going to be more centers than there's going to be a little more crowded than he hoped. So yeah, all these all these so like, like so like I said, all these teams are using their full mid level on big men. Um, and if, if you do look at what. Other teams use their MLE on. Bobby Marks made a good point that a lot of them haven't really panned out, like Sergi Baca so far, mainly because of injury. Um, 
And, you know, then you could come look at Harold. And uh, one guy that I've said, like, I think I said this like two months to you that, hey, the Lakers, they should have used the Emily on Jay Crowder. But for. Well, they should have, but, you know, LeBron would not have been okay with that because those two did not enjoy their time together. Yeah, I didn't. I completely forgot about that when I said that to you. But in theory, that would have made so much sense. And I was a little surprised that Jay Crowder even. I thought he was going to get a lot more after what he did for Miami, but uh, well, I think it was an age thing more than anything, and also he shot so far above his head for the Heat that I think teams kind of realized this guy's closer to like 35, 36 percent than forty. Yeah, I no. want to go down the mid-level money guys though, and like let's see if we can find better fits. I don't think any bigs, at least non-shooting bigs, would have made more sense. Maybe Ibaka, but like you said, he got hurt. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, there isn't really an obvious fit here. Like, I like Jermichael Green. I think Jermichael Green would have been good for them. But he's really more of a small ball center, and they probably, if they weren't going to go for Harrell, they were probably going to go for, like, a guard. We weren't going to sign DJ Augustine, you know? Like, nah. we weren't going to sign Alec Burks, although Alec Burks would have been great for them. Justin yeah. Holiday would have been interesting, maybe. Like, it's not like, other than Jay Crowder, there was some super obvious way they could have spent the mid-level. But I would argue if that's the case, Maybe the move is to just spend the taxpayer mid-level and not hard cap yourself. Like, do you really think Wes Matthews wouldn't have taken the minimum? Like, if he was going to play for four, do you think he wouldn't have played for two? Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually. And I remember, like, the big story for the Lakers offseason was, can the Lakers uh, bring back everyone while using the full mid-level? Like, the whole thing is, can the Lakers get to the full mid-level? And I'm not, now the way I'm looking at it, I'm not even, like, I, I don't think the options for the mid-level were that great looking back at it. And, you know, at least with the, for a name value and, like, Harold's uh, accolades being sixth fan of the year, it's fine. It's fine value, especially, again, like Schroeder, if, he's, if you're mainly bringing him, in, bringing him in for the regular season. So if there's not really any other good options out there for the full mid-level and you bring him in, then, you know at least try you have an asset there and so that's the other part is that like i don't want to blame the lakers too i don't want to like i don't want to crap on them too much for for signing harold but like at the same time maybe they could have they could have gone another direction with him during the season and that's something that we both harped on we we did a whole podcast on this right it never made sense for them to have three centers who were like going to command real minutes When Anthony Davis, in theory, obviously didn't play out this way because of the injury, but in theory, Anthony Davis is probably your crunch time center, and in important series, he's going to play 20, 25 minutes at center. So, like, you have 20, 25 minutes left to divide amongst Montrezl Harrell, Marcus Gasol, and Andre Drummond. So if you were going to go the Andre Drummond route, which it seems like they were committed to, the move at that point was, let's trade Harrell for something on the wing, and the trade that we talked about a lot was Harrell maybe plus a pick or plus THT or, you know, like plus some other asset for Terrence Ross. And the Lakers obviously went in another direction. And what I can't understand is why they thought it was a good idea to keep three centers. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's the, that'll just be on me. Like, why did they have to, I don't know what, like, what were they hoping was going to happen? Like, I didn't even think that the way it went down, like, I, I knew at least one of these guys wasn't going to be in the rotation. I And this, you know, it, even if Davis's season 
didn't get derailed with the injury. I still have a feeling that their postseason, how far they go in the postseason, would have been limited because of this politics at center. And like all, I I'm pretty sure like you could find whether it's a social media post or a quote with the media. I'm pretty sure all these guys have expressed their displeasure with how the center situation went down. And I'm a little worried that there could be like. I, it's possible none of these guys return. I, I, my feeling is at least one of them return. Uh, you know, between uh, Drummond and Harrell, I've, I would guess one of them return. Like, for example, if Drummond gets a big offer elsewhere, I could see Harrell opting in or signing a new contract with the Lakers for his non-bird amount. Uh, vice versa, if Harrell leaves, then maybe Drummond's a little more comfortable signing for the taxpayer with them, if that's what the Lakers want to do. Uh, with Mark, you know, he's got another year uh, at the minimum guaranteed already. There was our, I remember some people were thinking, well, what if Marc Gasol just signs his contract so he only plays one year and then retires yeah. or something? Goes back or goes back. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Spurs they've done this quite a lot with like, yeah, Duncan Ginobili. Um, so, you know, it's definitely, I'm not, I'm not saying I, I, there's no reports that that could happen, but like, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Mark just decides, you know what, like this was not a, the best experience. I already have my money. Uh, but yeah, like going back to the trade deadline, uh, they, sh- they, sh- no, they should have known that, uh, like they should have done something. Should have been a little more proactive with Harold with uses $9 million salary, especially knowing that there was a high probability chance that they were going to sign Drummond in the next few weeks. I just, yeah, I, I think it was, I don't know if it was the organization saying we need to be so loaded up at center that we never have to use Davis there. I don't know if it was a politics thing where like maybe they wanted to trade Harold and clutch said, Hey, we came here specifically to win a championship. Like, you know, you can't mess with us because we have so many players on the team. I don't know what it was, but I want to go into the three centers this offseason. I am going to say, I, I think the likely scenario is Drummond is probably gone, right? Because you don't, like, you don't DNP somebody in an elimination game and then use, like, a real amount of money to re-sign him. You don't use your taxpayer mid-level on somebody if they can't play in an elimination game, right? Like, that's my thought. And more importantly, I look up and down the lineup Literally every player on the Lakers roster, Jared Dudley, Alfonso McKinney, Ben McElmore, they all played in game six, every single one of them for at least one minute, except Andre Drummond. That seems like a message from Frank Vogel to me. I'm not sure that Frank Vogel wants Andre Drummond back. He'll never say it because Frank is the most optimistic person in the NBA. But that's what it seemed like to me. But I'm, I wonder sometimes if... I don't think there's ever been any like friction or like this like notable disagreements between Vogel and the Lakers front office. But sometimes I, I wonder if this might be something because it still feels like the Lakers front office wants Drummond back, and maybe that's even something that LeBron and Davis want. And Vogel, he's already. I, I was I was shocked that he that Drummond didn't play at all. And game game six was so crazy that Drummond playing zero minutes was maybe, like, the fifth craziest thing that happened all game. Right, and I think people ignored it because, A, there was the huge, like, the huge lead, the big comeback, Davis getting hurt. Like, you're right, so much was going on that nobody really stopped and, like, wondered about that. Then, yeah. like, I was, I remember, like, two hours after the game, I kind of thought to myself, wait a second, like, what what's going on here? 
<laughs> I, I realized at halftime he, he played zero minutes, and I actually fell asleep before the game ended. And then I woke up like, wow, Drummond didn't even come out for garbage time. I don't know, man. Like, so that's going to be interesting to see what exactly what happens here because this could be a situation where if the front office still believes in Drummond and want him back, and LeBron and Davis want him back, uh, you know, there might not be much vocal can do about it whether he would want him back or not. And well, all like I saw, is, huh? It seemed like LeBron and Davis wanted Drummond signed, but do you really think after what they saw from him, they'd really want him back? I would think not, but you look. Uh, sometimes they just I, like I felt that way. You can say that about so many other players. Like I thought after what Reggie Jackson did with the Clippers last offseason, they would not want him back, and here he is, and he just had an incredible game. Uh, I mean, completely different player archetypes, but I could see them looking at this and listen like you came mid-season it's a crazy season the COVID season let's try to put that away you know because you know Drummond still has this pedigree and I could see them looking past the season trying to give him another chance because if he comes back it's going to be a one-year deal because he's only going to want a one-year deal so he can build up his bird rights and the Lakers definitely need to see need to give him another shot for one year to see if this is something that can work like give him one more year hopefully it can work and maybe they can you know can work out the way they hope and they could extend them but um i'm i'm with you that as of now i don't really see how this can get better this would uh drum and fit with davis and lebron let's transition over to harold's player option for a second I think we all sort of assumed when he signed that contract, oh, this is smart by Harrell. He's going to spend one year on a contender. He's going to put up big numbers, maybe win a championship, and then he's going to go to a bad team and take their money. Well, even in the middle of the season, I think that was almost feasible, but now we get to the playoffs and he barely plays. And all of a sudden, like with two straight postseasons like this on his resume, do you think anybody's going to top $11 million for him? No, because again, I want to, like I said, the Lakers winning the championship last year it increased the value for big men, and there's a chance. Man, imagine if Brooklyn wins it this year, by the way. And look, and, and so that's the thing. Like, the, either the Nets or the Bucks, most likely one of those two teams are going to make the finals. You know, I don't want to. If the Clippers were to somehow pull this off and make it to the finals, that would be an an incredible small ball final: Clippers versus Nets or Bucks. I as of now, I doubt the Clippers make it. But then you've got also um, you got a, you got a bunch of other teams in the West that could that that have a lot of really good guards and could play small to match up with the Nets potentially. Like if the Nets make the finals, this is gonna bring back it's gonna bring the market back to how it was uh, before last offseason, where there's gonna be a premium on wing players again and. You know, maybe a guy like Carroll will just get like the. It'll be like it was uh, two years ago, where backup centers get the room mid level. I, I can remember Rashawn Holmes signing for that amount. Um, you know, there, there's a. I got to go back, but there's a lot of centers like uh, Ennis Canner with the Celtics. Like that was basically the price. And yeah, I'm I'm a little worried that Harold won't. Uh, won't match what he was earning this year if he were to opt out. Uh, but I do still feel like there's a future with the Lakers there. The clutch connection definitely helps. 
And just depending on what happens with Drummond, I think there's a very good chance that if Drummond were not to come back, that Harold might be open to opting in or then maybe or if you know Drummond doesn't come back and the Lakers need to bring back one of their centers Harold could opt out have a little leverage sign a long-term deal he can sign for like 44 mil over the for over four years Uh, I'm a little optimistic for Harold's future with the Lakers I still feel like there's uh, a lot of uh, there's a lot of love there they want to continue with him Uh, maybe like shooter they can cast him a little correctly and just you know just he'll just be this backup center just and don't depend on him too much for the playoffs but uh i'm not gonna sit here and say like i don't i think they should bring him back i think they should whatever big man they bring they should hope that this guy is going to be able to play in the playoffs i think they need to have two centers that they're comfortable with in the playoffs whoever that is and i I think if Mark comes back, we don't know if he will. That's one. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee for the minimum. Maybe not as like a 20-minute-a-game guy, but like having Dwight as a postseason mauler for five, ten minutes a game, like that's valuable. I'll throw this out there as well. Even if Montrez Harrell doesn't want to come back, even if he's worried about what his role would be with the Lakers or how it would hurt his earning potential, I think there's a scenario where it makes sense for him to opt in anyway because there aren't that many teams out there with cap space that can get up to $11 million for him that would actually want a center. So in theory, this can work out for both sides, where maybe Harold goes to the Lakers and says, look, I'll opt in, you can trade me, just send me to a team that's actually going to need me and actually wants me. So I don't know, I'll just throw this out there. Say the Kings lose Rashawn Holmes, what if they went to the Lakers and said, like, hey, we'll trade for Montrez Harrell. Harrell then ends up in a situation where he can put up a bunch of stats and then with early bird rights next offseason, he can get the long-term deal that he wants. What do you think about something like that? Yeah, I think that would have, if Harrell got traded this season, that's exactly how it would have worked out with him because uh, chances are whoever the Lakers trade him to is not going to be as good as them. And, you know, they won't, so whoever takes him won't, ex- like, won't give, won't pressure him as much as far as, like, expectations and he could just do his thing and, you know, uh, then he could probably get a pretty good salary, a good long-term deal. Yeah, I think in a perfect world for the Lakers, you, they just have so little matching salary for trades that if they could get Harold to opt in, even under the condition of like, hey, this is the team I want to play for, get me to them. Even if the Lakers could just do that and trade him back for matching salary, I think that would be so helpful for them because they are going to need to use a trade if they're going to add anything of note, right? All they're yes. going to have this offseason is the taxpayer mid-level. They're not even going to have the biannual exception. So right now, their matching salary is essentially Kyle Kuzma, who in a perfect world, considering his youth and his connection to the franchise, they probably want to keep. KCP, who's a clutch client, and ideally you don't want to trade clutch clients too often. And then Marcus Gasol makes the minimum. Alfonso McKinney makes the minimum. Like, It's not easy to construct a big trade there without giving up pieces that you would consider essential. So in a perfect world, they would bring Harold back and at least have him as a salary as somebody yes. to just include in a trade. So I'll go in a, that direction. So this is a really good transition to probably the, the main last thing we need to talk about is what can the Lakers do next? And the biggest thing is that the Lakers don't have any cap space. They don't have the, the non-taxpayer mid-level. They're based, 
even if a lot of players were to leave, if there was a max max exodus, like let's say worst case scenario, Struder leaves, uh, Drummond leaves, and even Harrell opts out, it's still kind of a stretch that they could use the full uh, mid-level exception, considering that they're also going to have to re-sign uh, Taylor Horton Tucker and Alex Caruso. So and you know, uh, so with that in mind. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that most likely they're going to be using the taxpayer mid-level. But you bring up a good point that in the end, the Lakers need to preserve as much as possible and hopefully at something reasonable with all their players. So with Harrell, good. I think I'm in agreement with you that there's a very good chance he opts in or he opts out and gets a, a long-term deal where he's not going to be making much different than what he's earning now. Uh I, I would say more likely than not, Harold does return. That's um, so. With that in mind, then you've got Schroeder, who he's hoping probably to make like some twenty million plus or so. I, I uh, can assure you, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. I. I do. I'm trying to balance the idea that Schroeder played so poorly that there's no way he'll even get the extension. But at the same time. There is some leverage on his end that if the Lakers that the Lakers can't replace that salary, and if he walks and he doesn't play ball in a sign and trade, then they just lose it. But you have made a good counter to that that in the future that's not that big a deal because if they're re-signing Taylor Horton Tucker and Alex Caruso to you know let's say they're getting like full mid-level money, well there's your salaries right there. So I understand that, but at the same time I. There's definitely some sunk costs there as well. Giving up a first round pick turned out to be Jaden McDaniels in that number 28 slot. Um, I mean, not that that really matters right now, but I think that Jaden McDaniels is good. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I agree. I think he's really good. I just, I, what I'm saying is I doubt the Lakers front office are like thinking of it in that way that, oh, we could have had Jaden McDaniels. Like, right. like yeah. I, I'm, no, I love, I really love Jaden McDaniels. I think he's going to be great, but they're definitely not looking at it that way. Um, there's, I'll, I'll, let me ask you this: What's what's your walkaway number with Schroeder? How high does his annual salary need to be for if you're Rob Palinka, you just let him walk? Honestly, I think that comes down to Jeannie Buss. If she's willing to pay however high their tax bill is going to be, there honestly isn't a number that really scares me off because there's no opportunity cost like you're missing out on by signing him. Right? It's not like you're giving up cap space. It's not like you know, oh, this contract is going to cripple us forever. I think the Lakers are sort of committed now to like. If we're going to make big moves, it's probably going to come through a trade. I guess I would start to feel queasy once you get up to like 16, 17, 18 million a year. But I would also point out my preferred outcome for Schroeder is that they sign him, trade him somewhere, and they just get a big trade exception. Because at but that point, so, then you can replace him with you know basically any kind of player. So if your walkaway number is between 16 to 18 mil, then he might as well sign that extension. Now he could still extend before uh, before the he becomes a free agent. And right, but eighty four million is not on the table. He's not right. getting twenty one. So well, look, I, I I we don't know what's going on. And like I said, like I I want I'm inclined to agree with you when you say that like he he played himself out of that maximum extension number. But I still I I I need to see how it plays out because I still kind of feel like there that leverage over the idea that they're, they're not going to be able to replace that salary, I still feel like that could help them maybe still, maybe not get back to that full extension amount, but recoup a lot of it. 
I'll put it this way. If he signed for four years, 70 million to stay with the Lakers, I wouldn't be super surprised. I'm just saying if I were the Lakers, I would try to be a bit creative about it and use him either to get a trade exception or to trade him for a starter somewhere. Personally, I don't think he's an ideal fit, but I don't really know who an ideal fit is. Like the player that I keep saying I would love for them to sign with the tech pyramid level is Patty Mills, just because a shooting point guard is such a great fit alongside LeBron. I do think the Lakers are going to be slightly more ambitious than that. Like, are they going to go to Los Angeles native DeMar DeRozan and say like, Hey, come win a championship here. Like you've made your money. Like, is that something they're going to do? Are they going to try to trade for, I don't know. We mentioned Buddy Heald. I think CJ McCollum is a name that Lakers Twitter are really getting into right now. Like, I think the Lakers are going to try to be a bit more ambitious than, you know, we, then we think they can be based on their position. And plus like it's the Lakers. Guys want to be there. Yeah, but I just, I cannot see, like you mentioned CJ, for example. I just cannot see that. Now, look, over time, it's going to get better as far as trades because the Lakers, so they only owe their uh, 2022 pick and I think one more pick to New Orleans. Uh, Step in rule obviously complicates how many trades they can, how many picks they can trade. But as time goes on, they're going to have more picks opened up. And that makes it a little easier to trade for uh, a star or an all-star, whatever type of player they're swinging for. With that said, they got to be very careful with the types of contracts that they're going to sign. Because yeah, they, they can't sign to... a trade because they're going to get hard. They're going to get hard capped. No, no, no. What I'm saying is like they need. I think we're both in agreement that the Lakers, if they can bring back Schroeder at a reasonable number, bring back all their free agents at a reasonable number. That's what they need to do. They need to build up these salaries in the short term because they're not going to have cap space probably until 2023 when LeBron expires. But they got to be very careful because, like, that Kuzma deal is already looking really bad, like, in my opinion. I totally disagree with that. You disagree with that? That's an overreaction to one bad series. Uh, I mean, if you're hoping to trade Kuzma now for to add him in the trade package for something, in my opinion, he's a negative value as of this I moment. I completely disagree with that. I think right. he ha- he shot 36% this year. He's grown into like a downright good defender. He's not a stopper, but like he's good on defense. He's a very good rebounder. Like I think if you're a young rebuilding team, having him for two guaranteed years at like 13 million, that's not. What are you missing out on by taking on that contract? And plus, we've seen him score 17 a game in a bigger role. Like, I think there's upside if he's not on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah, but I just, I don't think at any point this season he was looking like a $13 million player. And it just feels like the Lakers definitely could have waited out. If he was a free agent right now, he's not going to be getting 13 mil from, I don't, I don't know if Probably he's going to get, not, unless no. it's like a two-year deal. Like, he's, he got a three-year deal, but maybe like a two-year deal, kind of like what Kelly Oubre got two years ago. At best, maybe, but um, that's just based on his potential. Um, but with that, like, main, I'm just saying, like, whoever they resign, they got to be very careful. Like, and mainly with Schroeder, because if they give him a four-year deal and he's making a little more than he's making now, like, even that max extension, I, that could easily be a, a huge negative value contract, which is which would take either picks to trade or. You're just going to have to hold on to it. You might not be able to to translate him into whatever other player you're looking for. So that's the other thing. they got to be very careful with the types of contracts they give out, whether it's Schroeder, Harrell. Um, they don't want to have some, some burdens. 
I'll close with this because we got to go because we have a game that's about to start. Name me one player that does not currently play for the Lakers that you would most like to see on the team next year that they could feasibly acquire. Oh, man. Could it be like via trade or free agency? Trade, free agency, anything that you think is remotely realistic. Oh, I haven't really thought about this. Um, I would say that I'll just keep it simple. Uh, someone they could get for the taxpayer just because they're definitely going to be using that. Uh, let me see real quick. Uh, maybe I would I would say they need to, uh, regardless of whether or not they bring back Schroeder, even if they bring back even if they bring him back, I still think they need another playmaker because I like, uh, even with both Schroeder and Caruso and even Taylor Hornsberg, I still think they could use another playmaker. Um, I would, so I think that I would want to prioritize that with the taxpayer. You brought up Patty Mills. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, you know, like, I, I got to think on a little more, but definitely a point guard within that caliber uh, that that can be within the uh, the taxpayer. Do you think there's any chance they could get Dinwiddie? Like, do you think there's any chance at all he'd go, I've got to rebuild my value, so I'm going to try to do what Harold did? Obviously blew up in Harold's days, but any chance whatsoever? Well, if Dinwiddie were would – that, that, would that be assuming, like, Dinwiddie is going to take a discount to sign with the Lakers? Right, I'm taxpayer? saying, like, Schroeder leaves. And the Lakers go to Dinwiddie, and they're like, hey, we've got a starting point guard job open. Why don't you come here, build up your value, and then next year go get paid? But it, use the so, but yeah, so in that case, I think if Dinwiddie knew that his market's really down, then in that case, he could just opt in. Or he can even sign a, a one-year – I think he could do an extension. Like I'd do like a one-year extension that increases his, his uh, player option. Next year, it'll like give him a slight raise. Would just do that with the Nets and then see where it goes from there. Cause uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think when you're do, when you take a pay cut like that, I feel that you're kind of it kind of hurts your perception. Is that a lot of players that have done that kind of thing like very rarely go back to earning what what they what they really should be getting? Like I think a guy like that, for example, is Austin Rivers, who I think should be earning like maybe like five to six mil a year, and he just is like a minimum guy now. Uh, yeah. I cannot see Dinwiddie doing that. That would be like a bad career move. But if, he, if his market is down like that, just opt in or extend a little bit. Yeah. Austin Rivers is another guy I wouldn't mind on the Lakers, but I know once he got there, he would start shooting like 28% from three. So you know, I, last, I thought the Lakers should have traded for him. Like I, I remember I proposed something like if they could turn McKinney – and uh, one of their other expiring contracts into him because he had that that uh, he was making 3.5 mil and the last two years were not guaranteed also at 3.5 mil. That's a great contract to have. Uh, the Lakers can just have that. Like now, uh, I mean, maybe you know he's still probably gettable, but uh, we'll see. It looks. Um, I I try to feel a lot very optimistic that maybe finally we'll find a home in Denver because he's looking. He's fitting right in with them. Well, the problem is they have so many guards who next year they're going to want to play. But I think when we're talking about Austin Rivers trades as like somebody who's really desirable, that's a good place to close. So, Yossi, people can find your work at Hoops Hype. What else are you up to? 
Uh, not much else. Just uh, get, just watching a lot of basketball. But you can find me on Twitter at Yossi Goslin. Uh, you know, right now during the playoffs, I like to just watch the basketball. I'm not don't want to don't I don't get too much into the off season. But as as we get closer there, I will ramp things up. Um, but uh, yeah, just on hoops type and on Twitter. And that'll do it for us here today. We will be back. I don't know when I'm releasing this. I'm going to guess Monday. So I guess we'll be back Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know. The point is we will be back soon. Go like, go subscribe, go rate, go do everything you can do for for a podcast. That'll do it for us today. And we'll be back in the next few days.